Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, listen up. This episode is going to blow your mind. It will change your life. My guest today is Chris Ratcliffe. He is a personal development writer and anxious attachment style coach, hello, whose ability to paint with words has touched the lives of millions of people around the world. He shares stories that cut straight to the heart, detailing his own heartfelt and harrowing experiences to help others lead happier, healthier, more fulfilling lives. I just, I love Chris. I love Chris. He blends the principles of psychology, philosophy, physics, and spirituality uh, with his signature storytelling aimed to make you feel and heal. And if you don't feel like a different person after hearing this episode with Chris, I don't know what to tell you. He breaks it down, how to heal, how to heal in three really simple and profound steps that take a really long time. (laughs) But uh, I absolutely adored adored my conversation with Chris. Um, I really hope that you listen in, listen closely, and go follow him on TikTok. All right? I'm telling you, that's your prescription. All right. Here's my conversation with Chris. Chris, thank you so much for coming on and talking about all things anxious attachment and otherwise. Of course, Kate. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Excited to Uh, chat. Yeah, me too. So, I mean, I guess, you know, one of my first questions that I have for you, if you don't mind, is how did you how did you get into this? I mean, it's a very, very specific niche, (laughs) very important one. But how did you get into this? Wonderful question. And, you know, I think it's so important for people when they're becoming familiar with or working with a life coach of any kind to really consider what that coach's experience is like. And that's exactly why I got into working with only people who have an anxious attachment style. And that's because for many years, I struggled with anxious attachment for the better part of almost 15 years, maybe even longer than that, actually considering a lot of this goes back to my own childhood, as it does with many folks who experience anxious attachment. So long story short, essentially, I was laid off from a gig working in the magazine industry, which is what my previous career was, doing social media for magazines. And, you know, I was trying to figure out what now? I felt like I had peaked. I'd worked for People Magazine, Entertainment Weekly, Men's Health, Women's Health, all these glamorous titles, you know, living the quote unquote devil wears Prada kind of life. Um, <laughs> although magazines aren't that glamorous anymore, but to an extent, yeah. I was going to the Grammys and the Emmys and parties and red carpets and interviewing celebrities, but it was also deeply 
unfulfilling and I was professionally thriving and personally suffering. Mm. And so when that happened, it was a wake up call as is any big life shift or change like a divorce, for instance, that happens can be a catalyst for immense growth. And that was certainly true for me. So, you know, I looked inwards and tried, tried really analyzing what made me feel fulfilled in the past. And through a lot of self-discovery and self-exploration and a lot of writing and reflection, I realized I wanted to write a book. And Mm -hmm. that's where my first book, It's Good to See Me Again, came from. It's all about my own emotional healing journey. It's not about attachment styles per se, but it is about how I developed my anxious attachment and all of the traumas that I went through that led to the developing of looking at relationships in this way and looking at partners as a savior, being very quote unquote needy, although I look at that as a derogatory term now. And so coaching came after that as a natural extension of wanting to help other people. And the more I thought about it and thought about, okay, well, why would people want to work with me? What about my life could speak to other people? And I realized, you know, my struggles with relationships and all the mistakes that I made, all the quote unquote wrong turns, I feel like <laughs> I I had taken. I don't know what you're talking about, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. So, you know, Ultimately, I did. I wanted to help other people not make the same mistakes that I did, not to take shortcuts, but rather to learn the lessons that I did in a much more succinct, safe manner. And so I developed a coaching program specifically for folks with anxious attachment. And that's what led me to working with hundreds of folks on five continents all over the world. It's been an incredible journey, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I think ultimately the the moral of this story, which should inspire a lot of folks listening is what led, what began this journey was really me going through a very heartbreaking experience, which was losing a job that was in a lot of ways, my identity. Mm, And so I felt so lost and, you know, it led me to where I am now. And I'm so grateful that it happened because if it hadn't, I don't know if you know, I would have ultimately arrived here. I, I yeah. think on some level, I probably would have, but maybe not as directly. So I sure. needed that catalyst yeah. for and the I, growth. And I think you know, I, I mean, I know I relate to that. Like, I wouldn't be doing what I do if I hadn't gone through <laughs> divorce, right? Yeah. And, um, and all that goes along with that. And I, and I love the idea that you know, I, th- I think a lot of my listeners will relate to, you know, one of the one of the things that's so difficult, especially for women and especially for stay-at-home moms, um, is the idea of their identity being as mom and now considering yeah. divorce, I'm going to have to share custody. I'm right. And so you it is an identity crisis. Yes. Right. People say, I don't know, what am I going to do without my kids? What am I going to do? How am I going to be away from my kids for a couple of days a week? And while Yes, that's heartbreaking. Yes, absolutely. It's difficult and it's terrible. You miss them. Also, if that's your identity, that's something, there's something to look at there. Certainly. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Completely like, agree with that. Yeah. And I think that that's very similar. Yeah. Anything yeah. you identify with that can be taken away mm-hmm. ultimately is sort of like the rug being pulled out from under you. You know, you need a solid foundation with yourself and we are social creatures. So you need both, 
But ultimately, if your identity is playing a role and that role changes, then you can see why you would have an identity crisis. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this actually kind of brings me the idea. I, you have a great TikTok on your, by the way, just Chris's TikTok, just go. It's, it's just a wealth of amazing information and videos. Um, and Thank one you. of them, yeah, one of them you talk about, um, is the difference between independence and interdependence in a relationship. And I think that. For those of us who ident- have identified in the past as or do now, which I really think is most of us um, as codependent, right, who have some form of codependent journey, this is a really hard concept. And I think it, it ties into the identity issue, right? If your identity is your relationship and now it's falling apart, how what is that healthy, di- healthy, you know, you in this video, you talk about two things that are really important in a healthy relationship. One of them is independence and the other one is interdependence. And like, how does coexist? Let's back up and talk about codependency for a second to kind of contextualize this. So just to give kind of a boilerplate, one sentence, very high level overview of codependency, it is the subversion of self to either build or maintain relationships with others. We get to this place oftentimes at least with the folks that I work with who experience anxious attachment, and codependency is usually a core component of anxious attachment. The reason we get to this place is because usually we're approaching the relationship at hand from a place of a fear of abandonment. Mm -hmm. We don't want to lose that person, and so we'll do anything required to maintain that relationship, that closeness. We don't want to be alone. We don't want to be too much this also veers into you know a space of shame a lot of times right. and this yes. ties back to oftentimes childhood origins but at the end of the day when you approach any connection any dynamic from a place of fear and especially a fear of being left what inherently happens is many folks will subvert their own needs they'll say no i don't i don't need to hang out with that friend tonight of course I can see you tonight. Let me clear my schedule for you. Mm-hmm. They'll also say, you know, I don't know when they're going to be available. So I'm probably not going to maybe go to the nail salon or go to the gym or meditate as much because I want to be by my phone when they text or call. And I want to make sure that I'm free right. and can be flexible for this person. What if he says he wants to see me tonight? Right. Exactly. Yes. It's that whole waiting by the phone syndrome that's so, so unhealthy and only leads to a sense of codependence on another person. We have to have our own sense of identity outside of just being in a role with somebody Mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately to break the codependent cycle, we have to bring the focus back to ourselves because in that space of codependency, it is all on the other person. What do they need? How are they feeling? How can I make sure that they're comfortable, that they're at ease? And so we lose ourselves when we do this. Mm -hmm. In order to have a healthy relationship, in this video, I talk about independence and interdependence. Many folks who are on the anxious side of the attachment spectrum, on the insecure side, anxiously attached, they become way too interdependent and that becomes codependency. Now, in order to heal from that and become healthier and more secure, you need to become more independent. So you need to veer a little bit closer to center. Mm. For many of us, oftentimes actually a lot closer to center. So we need a course, (laughs) a course correction and 
need to learn how to be more independent, how to value our own time so much so that we don't value somebody else's time over our own. It can be equal. And most times it should be roughly about the same. Now we need our own relationships outside of romantic partnerships. We need friendships, relationships with family, boundaried relationships with everyone, but especially family, (laughs) especially family, especially family. And of course, (laughs) relationships with colleagues and with ourselves. I call this emotional diversification, kind of borrowing from the world of finance. It is a strategy whereby you are not as at risk of losing everything if one relationship doesn't work out. Now, this isn't to say that your partner can't get the majority of your energy and time. Maybe it's 45 to 50%. If you look at it as a pie chart, they get the biggest chunk. Okay. Mm -hmm. You also need a significant chunk for yourself. And then the rest you can distribute evenly, however you would like. You need passions and hobbies and interests, things that, you know, spark that creative juice inside that as human beings, we all need to light and pursue. And in addition, you know, it's not just saying, oh, you can't rely on other people. It's saying that. You can't rely on other people to the extent that you lose a level of self-reliance. Yeah, you can't rely on other people for your own identity, Yes, right? Because then it can be taken away and then your identity is taken away. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. I want to backtrack a little bit for those who don't really know what anxious attachment is like or attachment theory, which if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I don't know how you don't know, but <laughs> for those who may be new, what is attachment theory and the specific subset of anxious attachment? Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into it. Let's give that, yeah. that high level overview for folks, a crash course, if you will. Yeah. So attachment theory is a branch of psychology that originated in the 1950s and 1960s. So this is been studied for a significant amount of time. Some of the early researchers were John Bowlby, Mary Ainsworth, among others. And they developed or observed Mm -hmm. different attachment styles, specifically in young children. There was an experiment done called the strange situation test, where they basically observed what it would be like to separate children from their caregivers, usually their mothers, especially considering the time period where it was originally studied. Mm -hmm, Yeah, studied. mm -hmm. So when they are separating the child from the mother, they're observing how does this child react? And are there any patterns that emerge from those reactions? Indeed, there were. And that's where the four attachment styles come from. Now, to kind of fast forward a bit through the decades and what we've learned since, attachment is a spectrum from insecure to secure. No one is fully insecure and no one is fully secure. So we fall somewhere in the middle. Now there's a secure attachment style that is on the secure side of the attachment spectrum. And those folks tend to relatively and with ease make connections and build bonds with others in a very simple, straightforward way. It comes easily to them. They're warm and welcoming. They have no issues experiencing different kinds of emotions, whether those are challenging, like sadness or betrayal, or whether they might be, you know, really fun to experience, like joy and appreciation. They know how to express themselves. They're usually pretty good communicators. 
Oftentimes, this is a result of growing up in a warm, welcoming kind of environment. Mm. Now, with folks on the insecure side of the attachment spectrum, there's the other three attachment styles. (laughs) Right. So those are anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. Okay. Now, these go by different names and different attachment models. So you might hear anxious, you might hear anxious ambivalent, you might hear uh, dismissive avoidant or just dismissive. And for the combination of anxious and avoidant, you can hear anxious avoidant, fearful avoidant, or disorganized. Mm-hmm. I prefer the one word anxious, secure, avoidant, disorganized. It's a bit more straightforward. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you can see any of those names when you're doing a little bit of research or diving in deeper to, you know, your own attachment style. Folks on the anxious side tend to experience a deep-seated fear of abandonment. They've experienced a lot of instability in their relationships, oftentimes stemming back to childhood, although not for everyone. This oftentimes is also reinforced in adult relationships. So for those listening, you know, if you're contemplating or have been through a divorce or are currently going through one, you know, that can lead to growing a bit more insecure, to going a bit further to the insecure side of the attachment spectrum. Any relationship we have either helps us grow more secure or less secure. Mm. Now, many folks, again, this does go back to their first relationships with their caregivers. And you don't have to always experience actual like physical or emotional abandonment to develop a fear of abandonment. Sometimes it's just being told, don't come out of your room until you're finished crying. Mm. Sometimes it's you can't get up from the table until you finish all of your food. Mm-hmm. Many people are familiar with essentially being told, don't listen to your body. Don't listen to your emotions. They yes. experience that Hello. invalidation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Many of us have been <laughs> Especially through Especially around food. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they don't often realize this, but it tells you, I shouldn't feel the way that I do. I can't express my emotions fully. And that subversion leads to all of the symptoms of anxious attachment, this kind of chameleon syndrome, people pleasing, being an empath, feeling into the room before Mm -hmm. you even arrive to sense Mm -hmm. if it's safe and to sense what version of myself do I need to present now in order to be liked and to keep the peace. So that's the anxious attachment style. Mm -hmm. Avoidance are the complete opposite. Someone who is dismissive, avoidant has learned oftentimes through relationships where they have experienced enmeshment and folks Mm -hmm. on the anxious side seek enmeshment. Mm -hmm, Now mm -hmm. I'll come back to that in a little bit, because that is important to note. The avoidant has experienced enmeshment in a lot of their relationships. Again, usually going back to the ones with their parents or their caregivers. When they've opened up about their feelings in the past, they have been manipulated or controlled. And so they learn to shut down as a coping mechanism. They're leaned out. Their sense of self is extremely strong. They look at dependency as weakness. And, you know, the reality is oftentimes folks who are anxious and folks who are avoidant end up in relationships together. They attract each other Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. they have complete opposite needs. And yet they both over idealize the idea of a relationship or a romantic partner, especially at the beginning and sparks fly in that oh, arrangement yeah. Oh, yeah. until the it's, avoidant checks out. 
it's the unconscious recognition, right? Of like, oh, oh yes. that's love. Oh, that's what love is because I recognize from my childhood and that's what I was taught that love is. We recreate those emotional experiences unconsciously without recognizing it. One of the questions I get asked a lot in my Facebook group, my programs, on Instagram, is what do I do with my engagement ring, my wedding ring? I've got all of these beautiful diamonds. I don't know what to do with them. Well, today's sponsor, Worthy, can help you get the most money possible for your jewelry, fast and risk-free. When you partner with Worthy, they do all the work for you, and their competitive auctions get you up to three times what a local jeweler would offer in as little as two weeks. The best part about Worthy is that you are in charge of what happens to your jewelry. You set the reserve price, you approve the winning bid, and then you get paid. And if your item doesn't sell for the price that you want, Worthy sends it back to you at no cost, fully insured. And now you can visit worthy.com slash DSG and get an extra $100 when your jewelry sells for over $1,500. That's worthy.com slash DSG. Worthy a better way to cash in on that hidden asset in your jewelry box. Worthy.com slash DSG. I relate heavily to both sides of this, right? So, so I'm a, does that make me disorganized? <laughs> like it could, I have, you know, a history of codependence, obviously that I've, you know, spent decades um, in treatment for and working on, and I'm much more secure in that but I think the avoidance stuff, what you talk about with avoidant, like, you know, anything opening up be- become every time you open up sort of being swallowed by someone else or manipulated, I mean, so relate to that. So how do those two coexist in one person for other people that might relate to those things? The reality is it's all over the place. It's a shit show, <laughs> essentially. Someone who is disorganized <laughs> or or anxious avoidant or fearful <laughs> yeah. avoidant. And remember, these aren't absolutes. They are styles of relating. It's an art, not a science, right? We're talking about people, human beings. So folks who are disorganized from one minute to the next, one hour to the next, or one day to the next, they might need closeness or space. They might need reassurance or complete autonomy. And those needs bounce back and forth between the extremes. Now, yeah. what makes someone be on the insecure side of the attachment spectrum, it's very simple, is shutting down. It's not communicating. Right. That's what makes folks insecure. They don't yeah. communicate. So that is a commonality among all of the insecure attachment styles, but they all do it for different reasons. They sh- they have different coping mechanisms. So folks who are anxious, they still avoid, but they avoid for different reasons than mm-hmm. the avoidant does. Someone who is anxiously attached avoids usually out of a fear of abandonment. They don't open up about how they feel because they feel that if they do, they'll drive the other person away. So that's where that usually stems from. Folks on the avoidant side, however, they don't open up about how they feel because they could just say, look, I need some space. I need to take some time here before I come back and can have a healthy conversation. That would be a game changer for the avoidant. And for the anxious person who they're usually paired up with, because the anxious person can give them all the space in the world if the avoidant were to communicate and open up. So that said, the avoidant shuts down when their emotional threshold has been reached. Essentially, their system short circuits. They become very overwhelmed and they shut 
down. They cannot access language around their feelings. They will just remove themselves from the situation entirely as a coping mechanism, not knowing when they can re-engage or if they even want to. And again, this, this stems from a place of having experienced enmeshment where somebody mm-hmm. else really tried to control them. An example would be if the avoidant in the past had opened up and said, let's say, you know, I, I'm feeling like you're criticizing me right now. And someone were to say, I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying how I, how I feel that puts them back in their shell. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. kind of lone wolves. They're rolling stones. They're just trying to get through and keep the status quo in the relationship so they feel safe. Right. And so they're coming at things from a space of being hypersensitive about being controlled or losing their sense of autonomy or independence. So if they sense that, they shut down and right. they don't communicate. And yeah. the disorganized person could be one or the other at any given time. Right. And I think in, in, in a different relationship, right? Because if you're if you're disorganized and you end up in a relationship with someone who's anxious, you're going to tend to be more avoidant. But if you're in yeah. a relationship with someone who's more avoidant, you're going to get more anxious, right? Yes, so I absolutely. Think it, it also depends on who you're interacting with. You have a great you have a great video about this. So I just want to because it you know it it starts to sound like, oh my God, I'm so, I'm so messed up. Like I'm, I'm, I'm anxious. Like we, first of all, we all, we all have an attachment style, right? Whether, whether, right. So is there anything wrong with us if we are anxiously attached? Oh my God. No, no, please. (laughs) Everyone hear me very clearly here. You are not broken and you do not require fixing. You are not some mechanical being. You're a human being. Okay. We develop these ways of relating to others as a form of self protection. There's nothing wrong with trying to protect yourself. Your nervous system, your body is wired and designed for safety. When you are not presented with that safety in relationships, again, sometimes all the way back to your first ones. Mm -hmm. Of course, you would develop this way of relating to other people. So you got to stop invalidating yourself and you have to stop reinforcing your shame by beating yourself up for this. Mm -hmm. You are not overly sensitive. It is a gift to be able to feel even the difficult emotions, even the challenging ones. A lot of the clients I work with, like almost all of them really, have massive hearts and so many gifts relationally to give to partners. And yet the way they look at themselves is as damaged goods, as not being worthy of having a safe relationship, not having experienced it and using that lack of experience as justification for why they're not deserving of it. You are not broken. Okay. You are a human being. You need love and support and encouragement. You do not need to beat yourself up any further. That only actually reinforces a sense of shame, which keeps you locked in a cycle of anxious attachment. Right, right. Let's talk about shame a little okay. bit, right? Like, how does that, we, we talk about shame all the time um, in a, you know, but I guess I want to dig more deeply into it. Like, what is what is, what is shame when you talk about shame what are you talking about 
Shame is a fear of being unworthy. It is a fear of being too much or not good enough. It can go either direction. Mm-hmm. And it stems usually, again, from having experienced trauma. And, you know, it could be big T trauma, like losing someone, someone dying. It could yeah. be a divorce. That's obviously big T trauma. Mm-hmm. It could be little T trauma, like some of the accumulated experiences of invalidation that we were talking about earlier. Some of the small, quote unquote, moments that consistently over time add up to that right. feeling of, and this is the core component of shame. I have been treated poorly because I am not good enough. We use the justification of poor behavior or actions on the part of others as a rationale for why we were treated that way. And you can understand why we would reach for and kind of grasp at an explanation for this, but Oftentimes, it just doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to. Right. Many right. people are operating at their level of self-awareness and their level of emotional healing. And really, only in the past maybe 20 years, and especially in the last five, has mental health become what it is today and oh God, it's been amazing. such an important part of the conversation. So amazing. Yes, absolutely. It's, you know, I, I when I talk to my clients and and people about this, I'm, I, you know, I have to remind everyone that like our parents didn't have this information. And not only did they not have the information, they didn't have access the way that we do, right? Yeah. Like we, Instagram, TikTok. I mean, when I got divorced, there was, you know, if Facebook was sort of very, very new. There was no Instagram. There was certainly no TikTok, right? Just the amount of access that we have now is staggering. And our yes. parents, I mean, God love them. They really didn't have, they didn't know better. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up, Kate, because that's an essential component for healing that you just said right there. Mm -hmm. They didn't know any better. Oftentimes, we're all just doing the best that we can with the level of knowledge that we have, self awareness that we have, and the relational skills that we have built. If this isn't modeled for you in a healthy environment growing up, And you do not learn it in the context of safe, healthy relationships with others. Where the hell are you supposed to learn it? But nowadays, of course, there's bibliotherapy, there's podcasts, there's TikToks working with coaches. There are a wealth of and a variety of sources for healing out there for folks. And I always say there are three components for emotional healing. You need time. But many people stop there, okay? Time alone does not heal all things. Time by itself does not heal all wounds. No, This is terrible advice. It just allows things to think into the subconscious and to fester. Fester. And then they take over your life. Right. Now, the second component is intentional action. You need to process what you have been through. Yeah, talk about this in It's Good to See Me Again, about my own healing journey. I broke my leg when I was 14 playing soccer. And you better bet I was rushed to the emergency room. They reset the bone. I was in a cast. I had crutches. But yet when we go through a breakup or a divorce, we just expect to put ourselves back into work, back into our everyday routines. You cannot do it. You need to take intentional action to heal. Mm -hmm. And for some people, that means getting the support professionally that they need. But even just relying on your support system, journaling, meditating, self-soothing 
nervous mm-hmm. system regulation techniques, which mm-hmm. we can certainly get into because oh, that's yeah, sure. a route to healing trauma. Yes. Mm-hmm. But the third component I was just talking about is love and support. You do not heal alone. If you are wounded in unsafe, unstable relationships, you heal through safe, stable ones. Safe just means you are seen for who you are. Someone appreciates the fact that you communicate how you feel. They don't tell you, oh, God, you're overreacting. Why Why would you even bring that up right now? Yeah, You always do this. That's All of well, that's gaslighting and invalidation. And yet so many of us experience that and normalize it. No, 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 no. That is deeply unhealthy. And of course, it would lead to being insecure in relationships. You need folks who get you, yeah. who see you and respect you. Even if you have to start, even if you don't have anyone like that in your life and you have to start with a professional, start somewhere. Absolutely. I think this is one of the things that I have a Facebook group that's got sort of over, I think over 11,000 women in it right now. And it's, it's so incredibly healing for them because for the first time they, for many of them, they have a place to go to say what they need to say and then to have it reflected back to them by people who get it. Yeah. Right. This is why community is so important, no matter what the community is, right? It's people that get it, Mm -hmm. that say, yes, I experienced me too. This is why the Mm -hmm. movement was so powerful, right? Me too. Me too. And you're not alone and you're not crazy and it's not your fault. Mm. Right. Yes. All of that. All of that. All of that. They say it takes a village, right? Why does that stop with a child? Hmm. Absolutely. It shouldn't. It should. If we're supposed to provide a sense of belonging and love and safety to a child, why would it stop there? Again, we're wired for that. Right. Absolutely. Oh, God. Yes. Amen. Okay. So, nervous system. Let's go back to the nervous system reset, right? If that is part of the healing process, what are some of your uh, tips and tricks and recommendations? for nervous system. Okay. Yes. Let's get into it. So (laughs) this, this is so important for people to hear. Yes. Healing, healing is about 80% somatic and physiological and 20% cognitive. Yes. And yet so many people, they start with cognitive and they end with cognitive. Here's what this means. Essentially folks try to think their way out of their feelings to rationalize away their pain to make sense of experiences, to try to give themselves closure by getting that kind of clarity around why did this happen the way that it did? First of all, it doesn't always make sense. It's not always neat and tidy. Mm -hmm. Many people, again, are operating from a place of unconscious fear, unconscious awareness, and a level of being deeply unhealed and traumatized themselves. They project it, they pass it on. This is the cycle of shame that keeps Mm -hmm. going and going Mm -hmm. till the end of time. Now, the other 80% is somatic. It's felt. There's the famous book, The Body Keeps the Score, all about this that has to do with really how to take care of your nervous system. That's a very popular cliche thing to say nowadays. Here's what that means. Okay. And I I package this for my clients in what I call a daily self-care practice. Hmm. Self-care should be replenishing and rejuvenating for your container for your body, for your full system, mind, body, spirit, the whole Mm -hmm. thing, your holistic self. And so what this means is it's down to the basics. It's things like hydration, Mm -hmm. things like nutrition, 
Many of us are deficient in magnesium, vitamin D, among a variety of other different vitamins that lead to poor mental and physical well-being. Additionally, there are other components to consider. Sleep. Hello. Oh, That's hello. where our brain resets itself. It cleans itself. Yeah. It's able to, to wash away some of that and reset. So sleep is a core component that so many people just brush past and just power through. And I'm not saying it's not difficult to do this when you're in a triggered state or a chapter in your life that's difficult to take on, like a divorce. You're going to lose yeah. sleep. That's natural. It will reinforce your sense of shame. That's also natural. But you can break out of that by learning to validate yourself too. So other ways are through breathing techniques. I like to practice with my clients what's called the physiological thigh. And mm -hmm. I'll do it now for folks so you can learn it and take it wherever you go with you. It's a double inhale followed by a pause at the top and an extended exhale. The exhale is intended to be longer than the inhale. And I'll explain why in a minute after I demonstrate this. So here's how it sounds. You have to empty out all of the air down to your diaphragm. You inhale a full inhale and then grasp for that little extra bit of air, hold at the top, and then the extended exhale. What you're doing is you're sending more oxygen to the brain, waking up the system, pausing at the top to reset, and then the extended exhale releases tension from the core. Many of us hold a lot of tension in our bodies and our chest or our core. Again, all the way down to the diaphragm or the base of the stomach. That's why it's really effective. If you do this five times in a row, you can reset your nervous system. You'll likely feel a little bit lightheaded. That's normal. You're sending extra oxygen to the brain and waking yourself up. Cold exposure is another really, really underutilized technique when it comes to nervous system regulation. Essentially, what you're doing is you're giving the body an actual threat. Cold water, especially this time of year during winter, it's really cold. I can't even practice cold exposure myself, and I've been doing this for years with the coldest possible temperature. So you mm -hmm. want to play with two variables here, time and temperature. Just like yeah. you're not going to go to the gym and get on the treadmill and go to the maximum incline at the maximum speed, start at a place <laughs> that's going to be sustainable and work your way up to colder and longer. We're not going okay. to like Wim Hof straight, <laughs> straight <laughs> at the jump, y'all. We're not going no. to like <laughs> Arctic ice baths. <laughs> no, you don't have to do the polar plunge right out the gate here. <laughs> so work your way up to a bit more. Start off with maybe 10, 15 seconds. If you got a wand in the shower, make sure you hit the face and the back of the neck, the brainstem is where the vagus nerve, the biggest and most important nerve that connects your body to, you know, the, the extremities to your brain, that helps to reset it. You're giving it, again, your nervous system an actual threat so that in the future, you have more tolerance when you perceive a threat, where you feel a sense of a lack of safety in the environment, like when you don't hear back from someone for an extended period of time and you start to go into your head, hop in the shower, throw that cold water on the back of your neck and the back of the body in particular is extremely sensitive. Also your extremities like your hands, you could wash your hands in cold water if you can't mm -hmm. immediately shower, go mm -hmm. for the sensitive parts. Stick your hand in a bucket of ice is another, Yes. right? If you're having a yeah. panic attack, right? Cause it does, it brings you right back to right now. Right. If yeah. you're having a panic attack, you're panicking about something that's happening or that's going to happen, or you're you're you know interpreting, or you're you know whatever it is. If you shove your hand in a bowl of ice, you're you're shocking your nervous system back into 
right, right here, right now. Yes. Right. And over time, as you are able to spend more time with that cold exposure and with colder and colder temperatures, you're building tolerance in the nervous system for triggers. Even if it buys you five seconds, I consider that a win because in those five seconds, you can say, I'm triggered. Even just saying that is good enough to be able to pause before saying something you don't mean because when you're triggered and you go into an activated nervous system state, your brain the blood flow goes immediately to the limbic system, the emotional part of the brain, the most basic reptilian and mammalian components of the brain, thereby shutting off your access to things like the prefrontal cortex and higher levels of thinking, things like language. This is why when you're triggered, it's so hard to say how you feel. You need a little bit of time. And that tolerance helps you to buy that time for yourself. Even just to say, oh, I know what's going on here. I need to go for a walk. I got to get out of here. Right. Yes. 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 Those are some some ways that you can regulate your nervous system, but there's others like gratitude, journaling, meditation, et cetera, et cetera. Take care of your container, of your body. Yes. Move your body. Dance, sing, write, uh, compose, paint. Creativity helps us to feel into our sense of self and our humanity. That we lose when we go through trauma, we lose access to our immediate surroundings. So when we do these things, it grounds us back in the body and helps yes. us to feel what we heretofore have avoided. I love feeling. it. Oh my gosh. So it's so good. I have a lot of a lot of people, a lot of my clients and followers, like they'll suddenly post these, be like, I haven't painted in years. And I I've just started painting again and they'll show these paintings and like they're, you know, open up an Etsy store and it's like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Unbelievable. Yeah. Again, that catalyst for growth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, we talk about, so anxious attachment is not, it's not like a a death sentence, right? This is not something like you said, right? Like you were anxiously attached and now you are mostly securely attached. And I'm sure it goes back and forth. And I, the same thing for me, right? Like I used to be far more anxious and now I I don't, I don't experience those things anymore. So this is not a death sentence. This is not like, well, attachment series, I guess what I'm saying is they're not static. (laughs) They're not fixed. No. Yeah. They're not fixed. Again, we, it's so important to remember, we learn this in the context of relationships. You don't emerge from the womb with a dysregulated nervous system and a maladaptive approach to relationships. You learn it through inconsistent, unstable environments and people. So Mm -hmm. as a powerless child, when you don't have a choice and you're surrounded by folks like that, of course, you naturally develop that. As a powerful adult, though, you have to make choices that support your highest good. That's what it means to regulate yourself, to self-soothe, take care of your container, access your higher power, pray. All of those things go into rediscovering who you really are. But -hmm. when it comes to healing, you can move to the secure side of the attachment spectrum. It does take time. It does take intentional action. And it does take love and support. Again, you need all three of those components. So remember that. Take notes. Folks yes. listening, take yes. notes. You need those three things. Three, but no, you're not fixed. Healing. I love those. I love those. Um, okay, and one more question because I think this is this is yeah. 
this is important, especially for people who are starting out again, who are just starting to date again, or maybe thinking about dating again. How can a fear of abandonment, like an anxious attachment, be a self-fulfilling prophecy? Oh, my goodness. Oh, so many people don't know that they do this and it, it happens. I did it. I did it. I did it for years. A hundred percent. I did it for years. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I think, you know, I did a TikTok video on this yeah. that resonated yeah, with great. a lot of people. It got, I think a hundred thousand likes or something like that in Spain. And here's why, because I based it on my own experience. I did it for many years too. When <laughs> same, we approach same. someone from a space of a fear of abandonment, Again, what we will do is subvert all of our own interests, hobbies, passions, goals, dreams, and needs and values. We mm -hmm. erase our sense of self by grasping on to the idea that somebody else has come along and finally we connect with someone. We get blinded by the connection and the chemistry. Mm -hmm. And so we, this oftentimes happens slowly, like maybe week by week, but over time, we stop going to the gym, we stop meditating as much. We're not doing our gratitude journaling as much or being hydrated or sleeping as well. Again, we're trying to carve out time for that other person waiting by the phone. We're essentially doing everything we can to be available to that person. And as a result, we lose who we are. Now, when that happens, we experience a feeling of guilt internally because on some level, either consciously or unconsciously, you know, it is your responsibility to take care of yourself. We know this as human beings, we're wired for this. This is why we breathe naturally. It's not a choice. Right. Okay. We know when we need to <laughs> <Can you> imagine <laughs> we know these things. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so all that is to say, we check out from our body and we feel into the environment around us. Now, that sense of guilt is very hard to contain. And we grow resentful. Resentment is a function of envy. We envy the other person for the sense of ease with which they seem to be experienced, the relationship that we are so deeply struggling with. And so we project our guilt and resentment onto the other person. We'll lash out at them. We engage in what's called protest behavior. These are ways of being deeply unhealthy and also passive aggressive or straight up aggressive in relationships, withdrawing, saying, oh, well, he didn't text me for two days, so I'm not going to text him for three. <laughs> and keeping score. Um, mm. All of those things are very, very, very unhealthy. They actually keep you from what you really seek, which is connection and more closeness. And you end up pushing the other person away over time. Sometimes this is slow. Sometimes it's, whoa, I can't do this. And the other person checks out, again, either slowly or all at once. And when they do, then we have the reinforcement in the environment, the data and the experience to support the fear of abandonment. And the cycle begins again. Oh, That's how it becomes so, a self-fulfilling prophecy. So good. That's so good. I, You know, the way that you frame that is, it, it's just brilliant. It's just brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. I know yeah. it's going to resonate with a lot of people out there. And please know you can break the cycle mm -hmm. again by bringing that focus back to you, taking good, good care of your mind, body, and spirit. You don't have to go from zero to 60 overnight. Aim for incremental, slow, sustainable changes. I recommend for my clients to do what's called habit stacking. Mm -hmm. So taking habits they already have 
and stick to each day, like morning routine, nighttime routine, and pairing new habits with those things that they already do. For instance, saying, I'm going to meditate for five minutes before I make my morning cup of coffee. So that's an example of a habit stack. Slowly do it over time. You don't have to bite off more than you can handle or more than you can chew right now. Do it little by little if you must, but do something for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Chris, thank you so much. This has been just an, an amazing, enlightening conversation. And I know that my uh, listeners are going to just flock to you. So where can thank they you. find you? Yes, I'm very visible online. You, as you, can imagine. you are. <laughs> Kate already mentioned I am very active on TikTok. I have a really, really healthy, positive, uplifting community of almost 100,000 folks on TikTok now, which still blows my mind, honestly. Great. And, you know, that's where I am most active in terms of posting content, going live, etc. And there's hundreds of videos that I've done on codependency, rejection, anxious attachment, abandonment, self-worth. So you can find me on TikTok at Crackliff or Crack Life with two Fs, C-R-A-C-K-L-I-F-F-E. Again, my name is Chris Ratcliffe. On the first page of my book, It's Good to See Me Again, I talk about the origin of the nickname and how I just decided to own it. So now it's my identity, Crack Life or Crackliff with two Fs. I love it. So, <laughs> thank you. So folks can find me on TikTok. I'm also pretty active on Instagram, have a good good community there as well. Mm-hmm. I post a lot of uplifting stories there mostly that mm, you know okay. folks tend to appreciate. So I'm very active on Insta stories. Again, it's at Cracklift or Crack Life with two Fs. I'm also cracklift.com, C-R-A-C-K-L-I-F-F-E. If you're interested in reading some of my blogs about anxious attachment, you can do so there. And you can visit the coaching portion of my website if you're interested in working with me. It's cracklift.com slash coaching. Also, my book's on Amazon. It's good to see me again. I love that title. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kate. Oh my gosh. This has been so great. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm just thrilled to have met you and gotten to have this conversation with you for my audience. Likewise. I'm grateful. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.